chapter 10, starting in verse 9. Now, this, this wasn't planned, but it's very appropriate in that we're talking about missionary work today, going out. Um, and I think um, it's something that I think we all can learn lots about, every single one of us. Myself, reading through this, thinking about this thing was really quite a challenging section because I understand the um, missionary side of things, the maybe the more evangelical or the kind of reaching out or the shouting out elements of the gospel. And that's the charge that the disciples first got from Jesus. Here's a charge, the first charge of the disciples, and it is go out and evangelize, basically to shout out the good news of the gospel. Um, and so here it is. Um, so again, Matthew 10, chapter 9, and if we got the first slide, we... Um, uh, again, coming off of last week, again, speaking of in context of what disciples have, you know, what disciples are to do, you know, we, you know, freely receive from God and freely we ought to give, you know, as God directs us to give. And that's kind of the heart of the message from last week. You know, when he's, you know, he says, freely you've, you know, received, now freely give. And of course, we kind of say, what does that mean? Is it talking about like, I, God gives you lots of money, so give lots of money back to the church? Well, some churches might say that, but we didn't. We said, it's about a lot more than just money. <laughs> it's about your whole life. It's about your heart, your passion, everything in you. Um, so, at this point, I want to kind of remember, remind ourselves of these would-be disciples that we saw back in chapter 8. Remember after he, Jesus reached out to the multitude and he was healing people and he was reaching out to people, changing people's lives and preaching, people were just excited, like how you would expect maybe at a big conference or a big, you know, uh, you know revival service or outreach service. You know, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of just buzz in the air. And some people came up and said, Jesus, you know, we want to come forward. We want to dedicate our lives to you. And what I like about Jesus is he, he didn't do what you would expect him to do. He kind of told them, that's fine, but no, <laughs> kind of, you know. I want to be your disciple, the first one said, which I called Mr., you know, I need, I need a place to call home. And you remember in, in, in Matthew 8, 20, the first guy came up to him, and Jesus responded to him and said, Hey, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, to lay his head. And then the guy went away. Basically, there's no base of operations. There's no home. I'm, our mission, and this is Jesus' specific mission. I'm not saying this is how Christianity is for everyone. But for Jesus' mission at this point is he's going to go out and he's going to give the gospel to the world. He's going to go out and he's going to live his life to the cry, to the cross. He's going to live his life to the fullest for the next three years to the cross. And so he's not going to stop. He's going to go and he's going to go. There's no base of operation. There's no home. There's no place to get comfortable. Are you ready for this? And the guy says, no. Nah. And again, I don't think Jesus is being hard to the guy. I think he's being honest with the guy. That's fine. You can love me, but, you know, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach. And if you want to follow me, you've got to come at the cost. And then another would-be disciple came up and said, I call this next guy, I'm the Mr. I'm too busy just now. And Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own. You know, he's like, ah, Jesus, I would go, but, you know, my dad's getting kind of old and he needs help. Again, I don't think Jesus is being hard on him. I think he's being honest. Well, go take care of your dad. That's fine. But I, I can't wait. 
The cross is there. The mission's at hand. I have to go. If you can't come with me, then you go take care of your dad. I'm going. So Jesus basically said to this man, you know, we can't postpone our mission. Now is the time for us to go. So, again, like I said, imagine this was like a regular revival service, you know. I mean, and Jesus came, all these kind of excited young fellows come up, I'll follow you, Jesus, I'll go Bible college and I'll do this. Yeah, do it, here, sign up here, sign up here. Jesus is like, no, stop it, think about it. You really count the cost yet? Have you really thought about this? So I was all about Jesus. He wasn't feeding on their emotions. And off of the moment, he was being very realistic. I'm glad you're fired up, but you need to count the cost. Are you ready to do this for your whole life? I don't want you for the next two weeks and then burn out. I want your whole life and your whole service and your whole heart. And, um, and now we're going to look at this commencing instructions that Jesus is going to give disciples. Here's your instructions. Here's what you're going to do as you go out. And it's kind of a good thing Jesus was honest with these guys from the get-go. Because the responsibility, the task, the job at hand is very serious. Next slide, please. And first of all, he wants to start by telling us that the, this work, the disciples, these, this missionary style of work, this evangelistic style of work is honorable. It's worthy. Count yourself worthy. Don't ever think that what you do is second rate, second class. It's honorable. It's worthy. Matthew 10, 9 to 13 says this. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey. No extra shirt or sandals or stuff. Don't prepare yourself. Don't think you have to care for yourself and take care of yourself because God is going to take care of you because you're worth it. For the worker is worth his keep. Who do you work for? Who do these disciples work for? Who do these disciples work for? They work for God. And he's saying God is saying through the Son of God that you're worth your keep. He's going to take care of you. Disciple. Especially a missionary style, evangelistic kind of missionary style of work, of discipleship. And I think this would go for all of us as well. If you're stressed about giving yourself to the ministry, but yet having to balance your workload and whatever or not. I mean, that's, that's a, those are legitimate concerns as well. Do know that God will still take care. You may have to still work, but God will take care. You may cut your hours down because God's telling you to. God will take care. Because you belong to him. You're employed by him. He's responsible for your wages. He provides the wage. And just a reminder, kind of the, the theme that just goes through this whole passage of scriptures is faith, which is talking about total trust. So again, we need to have total trust that God will. He is there and he will provide. Going on, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. So you are a worthy person, you disciple. Go out and find other worthy people. You don't have to sell yourself short. Go out and look for people who are worthy. Stay with them. Stay in their house. Stay with them. And, and enter their home. Give it your greeting. So, hey, you know, hell, you know, you come in with blessings. And if this home is deserving, let your peace rest upon it. Very specific, but very simple instructions. You are worthy. You're going to work with worthy people. And, you know, that's fine. You know, the word worthy appears three times in the exact same, which I thought was very interesting. All those words on the screen I highlighted, worthy worker, worthy person, and deserving are all the same exact word. Axios, weighing, having weight. One who has merited anything of worth. You have weight. You have something to give. Go and find somebody who can help you in your mission. 
And if they're there and they're worthy, they're ready to help you, not goofing off, not being silly, not being dumb, not distracting you, or are being argumentative or for the sake of being argumentative, which we'll find here in a moment, you know, you know, not interested. If they're not interested, then don't stop. Keep going because the job is at hand. The message needs to go out. And this is, of course, the initial side. Now, this here, as we're going to see, is a very urgent, very quick ministry here that we see the disciples because the word needs to get out. So it's very evangelistic. It's not pastoral in a sense. Later on, we'll have like Timothy and some of the other disciples who, who settled in regions and their ministry was more pastoral. But the initial disciples, their ministry was evangelistic. They were to go out and tell people, hey, by the way, Hey, lost tribe of Israel, the Messiah is here. Isn't that awesome? And if they said, no, I don't believe you, then just go on. It's okay. You don't have to sit there and try to convince the person because there's many people who are ready to go. They're ready to hear it. Keep going. So again, to sum it up, the work of the gospel is honorable. It's worthy. The giver is a worthy worker. And those who receive the gospel are worthy people. And their homes are worth resting in. But, reality check, as we all know in the ministry, some places are not so worthy of stopping and resting at. And that's kind of unfortunate, but we need to be wise. Matthew ten thirteen says, continuing on, if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you, i.e., don't stop to rest, keep moving. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, i.e., they're not interested in the gospel, you don't, you're not obligated to stop and to convince them and push them and to bully them into the gospel. If they're not welcoming of you, what you stand for, and in the words you have to say, you don't have to stay. And again, I put here, you don't have to argue unnecessarily. Now, it's funny the word argue, because argue means, can mean a couple things. You know, philosophically, argue means to reason out and to put together a good case for something, which we see the disciples do. And then later on, you know, Peter will say, make a good argument, make a good case for the gospel. So there's an important sense of that argue, but unfortunately, the English language is so limited that we use the same word to also what you do when you're fighting against somebody. <laughs> so my wife, she goes, why do you love to argue so much? I take it as in one way. I love arguing. Arguing is so great. I love to make a case for my faith and, and my case for my rightness in general. But my wife probably usually refers to the other kind of arguing where I like to fight and bicker. So, so here I'm talking about don't fight and bicker unnecessarily. If, if there's a place to make a case, yes, indeed. But this just talks about unnecessary arguing. So if that happens, you don't have to stop. You don't have to delay. Keep moving. And here, leave a home or even leave a town. And this is really quite, this is a verse I struggle with, guys, because I look at our ministry and I think, when does this apply to us? We've given and we give. And I wonder sometimes, you know, is this town not wanting the gospel? Are people not wanting the gospel? And sometimes I look out and I say, is it making a difference? But, and I, take, I could take these verses and I can say, well, according to the scripture, I can leave anytime I want to. And the reality is I can. But I'm not just now. I'm here. And I'm going to give the gospel. And I do see that God actually has you know, done some things. And I'm glad about that. But I don't have to stay. As a missionary, I'm free to go anytime I want. So if the, you're in a town or a home and you're sharing the gospel... And, they, and they're not interested, you can leave. Shake the dust off your feet. Um, Mark, Mark kind of broadens this description a little bit more by adding as a testimony against them. Because, when we, because we're going to ask ourselves, what does this mean, this, this, this dusting of your feet? And we're going to get that in the next slide. But just now, it, you know, I'll just think about Mark. It, it is specifically a symbolic, it, it, it's a meaningful symbolic gesture. It is a testimony against them, as it says in Mark 6.11. So then again, moving on, truly I tell you, 
it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that town. Wow. <laughs> First of all, if, I know everybody in this room knows something about Sodom and Gomorrah to know that that's not a compliment. Because Sodom and Gomorrah, as we see in Genesis 18.20, the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great because their sin is so grievous. It's a town filled with sin and pain and agony and woe because they're, they're just given up. Genesis 19.24 talks about how the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. So when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of great sin, we think of great judgment because of great sin. And in Genesis 19.28, I believe this is Abraham looking down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward the, all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So to be compared to or even likened to Sodom and Gomorrah, bad thing. But to say that it's more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah, even worse thing. That's the point Jesus is trying to make here. So what is this shaking of the, the, the dust off your feet business all about? Well, Paul put this to practice. And we can look at what Paul did when he put this very thing to practice in Acts 18, 5-6. It says in, in Acts 18, 5-6 that when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Okay, very similar. Again, evangelistic. Paul was the evangelist. He, wasn't, he didn't have a pastoral ministry. He kept moving. And he set up things and he kept moving, kept going. Basically, he's giving the message. So he's preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Very specific message. It's very much so in keeping with what Jesus told the initial disciples here in Matthew chapter 10. But when they opposed Paul, okay, just like what Jesus said, but when you're opposed, when they won't listen to you, when they won't welcome you, and they also became abusive, it says here, he shook out his clothes in protest. Very similar kind of action, shaking the dust off your garments, your, let's it be your feet, or your garments, your outer garments, whatever it is, it's symbolic, it means something. And here's some good information that he actually, as he spoke, when he shook his garments in protest. And he said to them, two, three things important. I think the Believer Bible Commentary actually um, 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 describes it very well. And so I put a, a direct quote from the Bible Commentary, the Believer's Bible Commentary. But here, f- three things happened. First, he says, your blood will be on your heads. And in connection to the first comment by the Believer's Bible Commentary, it says that this shaking of your garments, it announces the inevitable, um, inevitability of judgment. Judgment's coming your way. And I like how I put it in parenthesis here. Judgment is on its way because further contact and opportunity for repentance is basically cut off. If you're not going to have the gospel... And the gospel leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. How is this place going to be saved? How is this place going to avoid the divine wrath of God if they don't get the gospel? So in a sense, it's kind of really sad. And so he starts by saying, well, the blood be on your heads. If you won't receive the message, you don't have yourselves to blame. Number two, he says, I am innocent of it. And then down here in number two in the comments, it declares also the missionaries or the evangelists, has done their job and are washing their hands of further responsibility. And this is uh, as a reference to Ezekiel 3.21 and also Ezekiel 33, 1-9, where we see these practices happening. I'm innocent of it. I've done my job. I've done what I needed to do. I don't have to. I'm not obligated to stick about. I can move on to the next person who's ready to hear the gospel. And I must say, well, this is kind of our technique that we've used even back in 
when we used to deal with junior high kids back in California, uh, I was taught earlier on by a guy who actually was in the school system. And he says, there's people who are interested and people who are not interested. People who are not interested will generally distract you and others from, 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 from learning. And this is him from like an education standpoint. He goes, when you could teach your guys in junior high, think you've got an important message. There are those who are interested and those who are interested. The ones who are not interested are likely to distract you and others. So don't feel bothered by having to discipline them, by sending them away, because you want to have a place in which those who are ready get the message. I think that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. There are people who are ready. Find them, give them the message. Number three, after he says, I'm innocent of it, he says, from now on I will go to the Gentiles. The third point, generally with this kind of dusting off, is, is it labels a village as pagan. When the Jews would leave a Gentile area out of disgust, they would just kind of dust their off because we don't want them to bring any of this paganistic kind of dirt with us. This, 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 by paganistic, of course, means common. It means the, the, the people who are, in their eyes, godless. Oh, we don't want to bring your godless land into our holy land. That's the mentality. But here, Paul's reversing it on them. You see how he's reversing it on them? From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. I'm dusting off your godless ways and going to the Gentiles who are open to the gospel. Basically, he's agreeing with Christ's orders given to us in Matthew 10. Since you don't want to listen to the important message, I will go to those who will. So, sheep and wolves. Again, Jesus loves talking about sheep and wolves. It's a very illustrative simile. In Matthew 7, 15, he talks about ferocious wolves in sheep clothings. And these are, of course, the false prophets, or dangerous deceivers. In Matthew 9, 36, he speaks of sheep without shepherds. We saw this most recently, how he looked upon the people, and he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless. So wolves, dangerous, hereditary, ravenous, ferocious, deceivers, sheep, innocent, harassed, helpless. And then here we see Matthew 10, 6, which I believe was just last week, the lost sheep of Israel. And these are confused and deceived Israelites. They're lost sheep. They're confused. They're gone away. They need to be collected and cared for. And then now we see it again here in Matthew 10, 16, where he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, our understanding of sheep and wolves, when we see this, again, like indicating it's a simile again, these wolves love to devour sheep. And that's what we see here, the ferocious wolves wanting to eat sheep. So they're hiding, they're disguising themselves like sheep. We have sheep here who are harassed and helpless. And so the idea here is I'm saying it like sheep among wolves. Ouch, I think we're going to need some help here. And the beautiful thing is Jesus was there with them to help them. The Holy Spirit, he says, I am not going to leave you alone. Yeah, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan, you know, uh, you know just out defenseless and alone. The Holy Spirit is going to be there to help you, to be with you guys, to be your strength, to be your power. So therefore, we need to continue on, Matthew 10, 16, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. The word shrewd speaks of intelligence, wisdom, prudent, mindful, mindful of one's interests. But not as you'd expect it, because as, we, as we're going to see in context, this is funny. Because it's not talking about our own wisdom, our own intelligence, our own capabilities. I would actually kind of describe this more as a spiritual smartness, if you will. This knowing God, kind of having that faith that's, that's informative. God is real, God's alive, and he will 
provide. He will take care. He will give me the words to say when the time comes. And that's in keeping with what we're going to learn here in just a moment. It's not just worldly knowledge. It's spiritual smartness. Not of our own ability, but of God's through us. So shrewdness, this wisdom, this, this capability to, to discern spiritual you know, smartness. And also this innocence. Innocence of dove. Innocence of the mind without a mixture of evil. Being pure, free from evil, free from guile. Innocent and simple. In other words, no scheming. It's probably a good idea in situations like these to just kind of shut up and let God do the talking. So when you're going out, don't scheme. Don't hold evil against your heart against those who are rejecting you. Don't plot out against them. I'm going to, oh, if I say this, this will really get them. And then I can say, ha, Jesus loves you. I'm out of here. No scheming. Be innocent. Be without guile. Just, just do your job and do it well and trust that God will do the work. But also be on your guards, which simply means to give attention to. Be wide-eyed. Take heed. Okay? So these three charges, shrewd, innocence, and be on your guard, you will be handed over to local councils to be flogged in the synagogues. You will be rejected by your people. The local councils in the synagogues speak of the Jewish authorities here. Your own people are going to reject you on the count of Jesus Christ in this message I'm sending you on. So do know, be prepared that you are going to be rejected because of me. On my count, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and also to the Gentiles. So it starts with the people, but they're going to be made a scene. They're going to be mocked in front of the Gentiles as well. But when they arrest you, and here's why I'm, being, I'm justifying my definition of shrewdness and innocence. In, because it's not about our wisdom, our intelligence, and, and our, our wit, our smartness. It's about how well we know Jesus, basically. That's the spiritual smartness. Because here, it's very clear it's not about our abilities, but about God's abilities. Because he says, when you are then arrested, do not worry about what you say or how to say it. Again, I think about the Project X course. When we study it, we have all these arguments, a lot of really fancy, intelligent things. And I know a lot of times we get a bit wound up. Like, but wait a second. How do I know I'm going to say the right thing when the time comes? It's hard enough for me to, to, to remember these formulas and these things and all this crazy stuff. How am I going to know what to say? Well, you know what? Just get familiar with Jesus and get familiar with the arguments. But when the time comes, it's not you who's going to be speaking anyways. It's going to be God speaking through you. That's basically what we do. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't be dumb. Know what you believe in. But when you go out, don't be stressed out that you're going to not say the formula just right. Trust that God will put it in you. And actually, you'll say the formula perfectly if it's God speaking. It may not be how you think it should be, but it's going to be just right. At that time, again, you'll be given what to say. For it'll be not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Isn't that awesome? Don't worry about it. You're not alone. You're going out like sheep amongst wolves. But you don't have to worry about what to say. You're going to get arrested. You're going to get beat up a little bit here and there. But don't worry. God's with you. And God will give you the right thing to say. And yes, unfortunately, however, Jesus is giving a promise of being rejected by your own people. He's just saying, you know, he's going to say later on, you know, a servant's not greater than his Lord. They're rejecting me. They're going to reject you as well. 
But we can be encouraged by this type of persecution because Matthew 5, 10, we already read this, we already studied it. Jesus did say, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who are before you. You're in good company. The kingdom of heaven is yours. That's what he was saying here. Blessed, blessed, blessed. The kingdom of heaven is God's with you. God's going to use you. God's going to do amazing things in, through, and around you. Be encouraged. You're not promised an easy life. It's going to be challenging, but it's going to be deeply rewarding because yours is the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you not want it any other way? Yeah. So again, going back to our favorite apologetics verse. It says in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17, what, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? So again, come on. If you're, going, if, you're, if you're generally doing good and you're blessing people, who's going to want to hurt you? Right? So just do good. If the gospel is a good thing, you could give it. It's good. If caring for people is a good thing, then do it. But unfortunately, there are people out there who are offended by the gospel, like we see all through the Bible, and we know through our own lives. So that's why he goes on to say, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. He's agreeing with Jesus. You're blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Do not fear. The tendency, the human nature is to be anxious about these things. But people who know God are close to God don't fear because they realize, what are you going to do? Take away my life? You can't take away my salvation. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, here's what you do. Here's the active part of the whole thing. In your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Put him as chief. That, here's, I mean, here's the real active part of this scripture. Put Christ as the chief. Put him first. And then after that, this, um, the secondary charge, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a cure, clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will. So here he's kind of supposing it might be God's will sometimes that you suffer for doing good. God might say, that's all right. But he's still with you. He still says, don't be afraid. He still says, don't be frightened. He still says, you're blessed. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And yes, sometimes even your family and your friends and those who are closest to you might reject you. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Matthew 10, going back into our text, 21, says this. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, the word saved, a lot of times in Christian culture, refers to the, the being um, delivered from God's divine wrath, right? Being saved from hell. He, the word um, so-so also refers, can mean to save in a broader sense, to be kept safe and sound, or rescue from danger. Now, again, I don't think Jesus is teaching legalism or works that leads to salvation. Here, if we take the word saved as a kind of the, the christian you know, specific sense of being saved from hell and God's damnation, this would look like Jesus talking to us about works, which leads to salvation. But he's not, which is kind of cool, because what he's talking about here is God's got your back. 
you're out there serving him, you don't have to be afraid. God's at your back. God knows when your time's up. And so you can be as brave for Jesus as you can, and, he's, and you're not going to go any time sooner. He knows when your time is. He will keep you safe until that time. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Again, in keeping with this whole idea of you don't have to stop to be tortured by people. If they're going to persecute you, if they're going to hit you, if they're going to mock you, if they're going to reject you, then don't stop. Keep moving. In fact, that's what the opposition would want you to do. That's what the enemy, what the devil would want you to do. He would want you to, to cower in your home. Cower in your safe place. And, uh, no, he goes, move on. Again, we've got no place to lay our heads. We've got no, now is the time to go. We're not going to tarry. We're not going to delay. Move on. The message needs to be delivered to others who are ready for it. Got a couple more slides here. <laughs> I want to get this all in. This is good stuff. So how long does this hostility go on for? Well, Matthew 10, 23 says this, Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Well, wait, the Son of Man's there. What's this referring to? It's referring to the second coming of Christ. Now, all good Orthodox believing Christian people, thinkers, believe that Jesus is yet to come back. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, you might think he's come back, but you're wrong. But everybody else believes that Jesus is yet to come back. So guess what? We still have a job to do. We need to go out through Israel. Heck, you know what? Has Jesus returned? No, we need to continue. We are his disciples. We still continue to go through towns of Israel and, frankly, the whole world. We still do it. We still give the gospel. Don't be told otherwise. You know what's funny? There's a ministry that's ironically failing in shots that we used to work with a lot um, way back when. And I remember talking to one of the chief elders there. Uh, one of the few conversations before I decided it might not be a good idea to have phone conversations anymore because it's quite detrimental to my spiritual well-being. Uh, he was trying to convince me that the Bible says nothing about missions and missionaries. He was serious. You know, the Bible, son, there really doesn't says nothing about missions and missionaries. You know, I don't know. You know, what? Why does I read the Bible, especially a portion of scriptures like this? It is a textbook on missions. You know what I'm saying? If you, you don't know the Bible if you don't see the missions through the whole New Testament, basically. Here's Jesus. Here's a message. Go out and give it. What, what, what are you thinking? So there's many, even well-intentioned people who might tell us that, you know, oh, we really don't have, you know, need to be missionaries-minded. We don't have to be evangelistic, you know, in that sense. Rubbish. Jesus said we need to keep doing it until he returns. Matthew 24, he agrees with it again because he preaches the almost identical message in Matthew 24. He says, watch out that no one deceives you, like those who will want to deceive you, these wolves who are hypocrites, so-called prophets, false prophets, as he says. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdoms against kingdom. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted. Again, it's a promise. He's not going to candy coat it. He's, really, he's a realistic guy, this Jesus. I love how honest he is. And you'll be put to death, some of you, unfortunately. And you will be hated by all the nations because of me. Again, persecuted for righteousness' sake. At that time, many will turn away from faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets, again, oh, you don't have to do missions, will appear and deceive many people. 
Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Again, I think it's the same kind of definition. This is not talking about, you know, you know, works of salvation. It's talking about here, you trust in God, he will preserve you. And this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testament to all the nations, and then the end will come. So guess what? The end is not come. We have a job to do. Last slide's really quick, and I will say it really fast because it's a good way to end after that verse. Jesus is coming back soon. That's my opinion. You can disagree if you want. This is good news. The fact he's coming back, that's good news. That means we don't have to labor too much. Because when he's here, we can finally have that, that peace, that rest. But we have nothing to fear because, you see, ours is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We as disciples have an important message to share. Do you not know that? Do you not, are you not convinced of how important the gospel is? Should we cease and desist, even if the governments of the world tell us to do so? Certainly not. Should we stop because so-called religious people has poorly affected our lives? Certainly not. Should we stop sharing the gospel because people don't want to hear it? Well, yeah. That's what he said. Because if somebody doesn't want to hear the gospel, you don't have to force on them. So, okay. It's not for them, but guess what? I'm going to go on to somebody else who's ready to hear the gospel. i uh-huh.